Welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. This is episode two for August 21st, 2018. I mix like a human. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. Before I introduce you to my very special guest, I want you to listen to this. Audio description. In a logo against a navy blue background, a light green spiral forms a sphere. Underneath, in all caps, title, parallel. Subtitle, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. In the upper left-hand corner in a green triangle is the logo for Relay FM, a capital R surrounded by two curves, as if a video is buffering. Is that the coolest thing you've ever heard or what? Am I the only podcaster who has an audio-described version of her artwork? That, ladies and gentlemen, if you do not have vision, is an accurate description of Parallel's logo, complete with Relay FM bug. And today, my guest is none other than the person who made that audio description for me. Her name is Valerie Hunter. Before we get started, I want to let you know that the audio in this episode might be a little bit challenging. We had some issues with a loud computer fan on Valerie's end, but I've done what I could to reduce the noise, so I hope it won't be too bad, and uh, please enjoy. Valerie Hunter writes, produces, and voices audio description in Canada and the U.S. She is also the creator of Movies for the Blind, a podcast that is currently rerunning its 300-episode catalog. Hi, Valerie. Welcome to The Parallel. Hi, Shelley. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you. Uh, Valerie and I have sort of known each other online for a really long time since the beginning of Movies for the Blind, and you, you were a podcaster way back, as was I. Yeah, I'm I'm an old timer. I go back to uh, well, I did a different kind of uh, podcast, more of uh, sound seeing tours and more personal kind of off the cuff type type of stuff. Uh, you know, sort of the dawn ish of podcasting. You know, twenty two thousand six, something like that. And then uh, movies for the blind uh, started uh, about a year or two later. I did those sound seeing tours as well and tried all sorts of experimental weird stuff. And I've hidden mm-hmm. those episodes from view because, yeah, <laughs> it was 2006. <laughs> yeah. so, so I asked Valerie to come on the show to talk about a topic that is of that is near and dear to my heart and to a lot of people I know as well, but that many people who listen to the show may not be familiar with at all. And that is audio description. And I think let's start by uh, setting expectations here. Tell people what audio description is and who benefits from it. Um, this is always the hardest part for me. Okay, audio description, um, when, when I'm uh, discussing it with um, sighted people who have no idea what's going on, which is, you know, um, I say it's like closed captioning for blind people um, because everybody knows what closed captioning is. Um, audio description is uh, added um, audio track, um, either um, voice uh, on its own or mixed with um, uh, video or film or some visual media um, that includes a description of what is going on that um, is not immediate apparent, immediately apparent from audio that obviously vision impaired people uh, can't see. Um, so we're helping um, we're helping to assist whatever the producer of the visual media, in my case, the visual media. Is, um, is trying to put forth. Um, audio description also uh, occurs um, live at, uh, at events like uh, sports events or parades or whatnot. Um, also at museums, um, art galleries, and uh, uh, national parks, that sort of thing. So it's uh, any, anywhere 
any place that has um, something to be seen can have audio descriptions, someone saying um, as close as they can, as faithfully as they can, what is there to be seen. And how did you get involved in audio description in the first place? Um, I was originally uh, in radio for about 20 years. And as I was making that transition out of that career and looking for something to do, um, I started volunteering with a reading service, uh, the National Broadcast Reading Service here in Canada, NBRS, uh, otherwise known also as voice print back then. And uh, so I volunteered there for a few years. And... Um, while while I was trying to figure things out, and uh, the news editor there um, left, and I wanted to try to get that job, so I asked the big mucky muck at the reading service if uh, that job was open, and he said, "Well, no, someone's coming in for it, um, but you're you've done production in radio, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." So, well, we do this thing at the other end of this portable where we all worked at the other end of the hall here um, that needs uh, audio producers. Why don't you go down there? I, I was, I'd been there for a few years. I volunteering. I had no idea there was anything on that other end. So I went there and it ended up being uh, audio vision Canada. What is now uh, AMI? Um, and they do audio description. In fact, they were the first um, audio describers in Canada and uh, part of that very small handful uh, that started it in the in the 90s and early 2000s in North America total, and so I started out there as a producer, found out what audio description was, and um, and then moved on uh, as well as describe as well as producing. Um, started doing more directing of voice stuff, then became a voice of myself because that's where I came from, and then eventually got into writing and doing the whole deal. And then once I learned how to do all that. Uh, I left <laughs> and, did it, and did it on my own. And that's what goes to uh, 2007. So I'm guessing that the, one of the harder things about doing audio description is the writing part and figuring out how to pace everything and, and how, what kind of, what words you're going to use. And I, am I right about that? I mean, you, you had the voice background, the production background. So was the writing the biggest challenge? Yeah, it's no, uh, it's, it's no accident that writing was uh, the last element of that process that I learned how to do. There was also the fact that there were other writers doing it. Um, so I just sort of left it to them. Although I would, you know, I would mark up their scripts constantly. And that's part of how I learned how to do it. <laughs> there was, um, there, there were uh, classes uh, internally, a way of learning how to do this, but I sort of learned as I went along. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is the hardest part. And although um, I didn't go through um, precise conventional classes, um, listening to the pacing of how everything was done, both in when I was, uh, when I would listen to everything being recorded, when I would listen to the gaps that we have to use um, in between dialogue and, and consistent with action in, in uh, a movie or a TV show, um, you start, so much of it is rhythm. And um, when you go through that rhythm all day, every day, um, you start to get more of a sense of it about what will fit and what won't fit and what goes in, what doesn't go in. Um, so in a way, um, those years of observing that and listening to it um, was actually good preparation for me to eventually cross over to write. 
you talked about the different kinds of audio description briefly, and it hadn't occurred to me until we started talking about this podcast that one could or would specialize. So can you kind of just give a thumbnail of the different kinds of audio description and leading up to what you do, which is audio description of video, uh, stuff that's on video, TV or movies, TV shows right. or movies? What I found is that um, the what I've learned from uh, other people who have audio described recently, I, I came from a, um, a rare uh, conference that we have every couple of years that is part of the uh, ACB convention every couple of years. The um, audio description project was this kind of the main organization for about audio description in the U S um, has this conference as part of the ACB convention. And that's really one of the few opportunities that, um, loaners like me get to uh, meet up with um, other audio describers um, who do other sorts of uh, other sorts of things and that's where I got educated about this sort of thing because I didn't know uh, about it either what what I've found in talking to people who describe say live theater or um, or describe uh, in museums is that um, the need sort of so far has come from the medium itself. It's not like this is, this is starting to change as audio description becomes more prevalent, but what it's been has, has been more like um, there's been a need for audio description in a certain circumstance. And then somebody has uh, been, working adjacent to it, sort of like my volunteering reading service. Um, maybe someone will be, you know, uh, volunteering at that museum or might be, um, or might be part of community theater in their, in their community or whatever. And they've found out that that need is there, or maybe they've, um, read audiobooks at, um, an equivalent of the CNIB or something like that. That's uh, so the CNIB, the main, um, blindness advocacy group here in Canada. And um, something something will come up uh, that expresses a need adjacent to where a person is working, and they go, "Oh, okay, I guess that's a thing I might be able to do." And then they start looking into it. So it's um, so it's been it, it seems like it's been about the demand, and then we just sort of have worked in our own individual thing in our own individual medium, um, and then sometimes crossed over. Um, an exception might be anyone who's been blessed enough to have worked at WGBH, which is like, um, the, has been the big monolith of audio description in the U S right <laughs> for, um, for, uh, more than a couple decades. Um, it's, uh, for years, it was those guys, um, who would produce the stuff on PBS, public television in Boston. Thank you, Joe. Um, those are the guys that you would always hear on PBS or when, if you see um, uh, DVS trademark um, being available at, uh, at a movie theater, it's those guys. Now those guys have, um, they kind of started with television, if I remember correctly, and sort of crossed over into film. And so they've been going back and forth ever since. Um, that's kind of exceptional, um, but there's going to be more situations like that where you have people, um, working in, there's a little bit of a crossover. There'll be, it'll pretty, 
pretty much be split in two, I think, of, um, of people doing live description, description in live uh, as it happens scenarios, and people who are describing in recorded um, situations. Um, and that's the part, that latter part is the part that I'm in for the time being, although I have done uh, some live uh, description. Um, and then as things go along, um, people also start to develop specialties based on what they're used to, what their experience has been. Um, but I have a friend who uh, came up with me at ABC who has done more live description in part because the opportunities have come up with him. There's that need that he's adjacent to. And um, also because um, people who are better at improvisation um, are obviously more suited toward live description, which um, to listen to me for very long, uh, trying to say things off the top of my head like right now, or would learn that that's not necessarily my specialty. Although I do my, I do like my best. like to have a script in front of you. Yes. Yes. Reading aloud is my Sorry about that. No, no, believe me. That's I totally, I totally agree with you. But yeah, that's, that's sort of how it's, that, that's sort of how um, the split sort of happens. But obviously audio describers, you know, the more different uh, specialties they have, the more marketable they are. So that's going to be, more of a thing uh, as audio description becomes more prevalent, I think. And speaking of splits, since you've worked in both Canada and the U.S., how, I, I, both from a, a legal point of view and just like where the work comes from, how, how is it different in Canada and the U.S.? Um, my different, my personal difference is kind of clear, but it's been just based on the work I've been lucky enough to get. Uh, because I came from ABC and we did a, lo a lot of uh, work in, um, well, first, first uh, films that were available in retail, first on uh, VHS, that's how long ago that was, and then uh, DVD, um, and then um, more in the broadcast um, sort of TV realm. Um, I've sort of continued on from there. Uh, fortunately, I was able to maintain relationships with um, at least one post-production house here in Canada who get these um, TV shows and hire me to do them. Um, so it's been mainly uh, broadcast. Why that's happened, I'll get to in a second. In the States, um, I uh, established a relationship with an organization called the DCMP, the Described Caption uh, Media Program. And uh, they are about educational videos. They have a massive database of, um, educate, of all sorts of educational videos for K-12 in the U.S. Um, that are available um, with open description and open captioning. And uh, so, and they are my biggest client in the U.S. So I've kind of got a taste of kind of everything because I've been on, on I'm doing those different things on either side of the border. In Canada, audio description uh, in broadcasting um, has, has been a little bit ahead of the United States in terms of how long it's, um, it's been mandated by the government. Um, there are a certain number of uh, hours that uh, broadcasters are required to carry what we call described video. 
um, over the course of a week. And that's been true for longer than it has been true in the United States, even though in the United States, audio description has been around uh, as audio description, as it's called in the States, has been around uh, a few years longer than Canada. It, ha it wasn't um, really mandated for broadcasters um, until more than a decade ago. I know people can correct me on that because I, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a big student of the history or the regulations. I just reap its benefits. <laughs> um, so it's kind of... It's kind of back and forth now between um, Canada and the U.S. as far as who's ahead and who's behind. Um, in the States, things are a little bit ahead in terms of description uh, available in uh, cinemas um, and in live theater. Um, in broadcast, uh, Canada has been ahead and actually... Uh, the UK has been ahead of both of us for a while, uh, certainly in terms of um, establishing establishing audio description as being a thing, as uh, as uh, being top of mind to the average consumer. So it's um, it's kind of back and forth all over the place. But what they have in common is um, is these regulations by the CRTC for Canada and the FCC in the US. Um, which has been a benefit, and also um, everybody running to catch up once um, Netflix wandered in uh, and just went, we're going to describe everything. And then and, and everybody who didn't know description was a thing went, what? And, and then started running to catch and started running to catch up. So that has been awesome. Yeah, the, the two things that people might not be aware of are Netflix and what you said about uh, movie theaters in the United States. Mm -hmm. That really seemed to just take off from nothing. I know there were a couple mm -hmm. of apps out there, Disney Anywhere, and there, there were other apps that you could take your phone in and sort of do what I – it's not homemade description, but homemade access to it in the sense that you had the, the device in your hand. But a lot of the theater chains now mm -hmm. provide description to most of the movies they show, and you can go in as a blind person or visually impaired person person and say, hi, I'd like to have the the device, the headset, and you can go in there and watch your movie with professional description added to it. And that's been in the past couple or three years, maybe, that that just went crazy, that you, there's so many movies. Not every not every chain, not every theater has no, it. No, that's true. Um, and I think you can sort of, if you, if you I, I can't remember which ones do it the best, probably your, your AMCs and your Cinemarks because they're the biggest ones, but that's probably, if you're really wanting a, an audio-described film, starting with those big chain theaters in your area is probably the way to get it. And then yeah. the other thing, as you say, is Netflix because they just said, we're going to audio-describe everything that we make that's new. So yes. all their original programming, which is just a mammoth amount of stuff, and they do a good job at it and they don't do it halfway. They have mm. voices and description styles that seem appropriate to their content. And, and you know, I, I am always glad to hear that maybe other entities had to sit up and take notice because up until then uh, – People like Amazon were concentrating to, to some extent, and they were late on this, and making the devices' interfaces accessible, yes. but you didn't necessarily have any described content behind it. Right, so what yeah. was the point in a lot of cases? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, a, that's, that's a lot of stuff uh, you just brought up at once. I'll go to the, I'll go to the cinema thing first. And uh, yes, in Canada, um, uh, the big 
the deals here are um, Cineplex and I think AMC is still here. Um, but the but the the big theaters um, in Canada will have it available, and in the state, I believe Regal is included in the states. And here's how I know because um, oftentimes uh, DVS service is uh, present by its absence. Um, I, on Twitter, not long ago, um, I happened to notice a tweet from somebody in Los Angeles. I think he's an actor who. Um, who had the experience that many, many visually impaired people I know um, have been through, which is uh, going to the cinema, going to the um, going to the customer service thing, uh, ha having known that there's, having found some listing of a described film, um, going to ask for the headset, and um, being able to probably hear the silence and deer in the headlights expression <laughs> exactly. that the, that the uh, employee has when they confronted with that. And then, and then goes the shuffling to the back room and then waiting and then waiting and then coming back and going, Oh, I don't think we, I don't think our device works right now. It's battery is dead. It, it might, they might have it, but it's battery is dead or it's been bad repair. Yeah. 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 So, um, that's definitely become a thing. Um, so while the, uh, the, the material is definitely available and there are uh, very quickly uh, developing uh, workarounds from that, which we can discuss um, in a sec, um, that's, that's kind of a, a thing that it seems like a lot of vision impaired people have to, have to deal with. Um, part of the pressure comes from stuff like Netflix, which may seem that their um, their audio description foray may have seemed to have come out of nowhere, but I know that it was the result of years of advocacy. Um, there were uh, particularly American advocates who were really beating down their door consistently for more than a couple of years. In fact, as soon as Netflix became like got out of the uh, sending DVDs by uh, envelope and became a digital concern, uh, as soon as they started um, being uh, a thing, um, advocates were going, hey, <laughs> get, get our stuff in there. And, um, and then when it became glaringly obvious, when a thing to start doing, when they started doing Daredevil, like, duh, um, they, they decided once they finally got into it, they got into it. And as you say, they, um, uh, they don't, they have not gone halfway, um, at least, uh, during the, the first couple of years that they've been doing it. I, I've been uh, privy to, to looking over some of their standards. For one thing, they're a broadcaster that has, well, quote unquote broadcaster. They're not actually, but they are. Um, but they were the first quote unquote broadcaster that I came across that had, that actually had standards for audio description. <laughs> I mean, um, I've never heard of such a thing. I mean, not that I'm a professional in the area, but I'm like, oh, standards, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I mean, standards has been a thing that's been discussed and it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing, but um, that has been discussed on sort of a, uh, on sort of an industry level, but, um, just to make themselves look good. Um, but when the government requires 
um, a commercial concern to like do a thing, they'll do it just care, just passing over the lowest hurdle possible as closely as possible. There's been some description I've heard in Canada, obviously not by me or anyone I have worked for, uh, (laughs) that has been just the, the most basic, just roughest oh awful awful and there are other people who who totally have uh, gone through with that as well just when something is mandated they'll like do the absolute bare minimum they possibly can netflix changed that (laughs) netflix went oh no 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 if we're going to do this (laughs) we're going to do this or else there's no point in bothering um and and also you've got to credit the advocates for that as well because uh, if they've been, if they were like beating down their door for like more than two years saying, give us this thing, um, and it wasn't mandated from elsewhere, uh, they were under pressure to deliver. So they, um, which is another great thing about the advocacy. So they went for it and, and developed their standards and went, okay, it has to, it's like on paper, I've seen it. And it's like this, 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 that, and this has to be like this, and this has to be like that. And uh, in the prospective um, uh, description companies go through a process, an auditioning process with them, and there's a lot of competition, and uh, it's amazing. It's a whole new world. Is there a chance Um, we'll ever hear you on Netflix? (laughs) I hope so. Um, I made a couple. I have... have been part of a couple of teams that have been have competed for uh, different contracts, and uh, who knows how um, those things uh, end up being decided. Uh, nothing yet, but the demand has has kept going up. So um, while the competition goes up, the opportunity does as well. So I'm hoping so. I, I didn't mean to stop you. I think you were you were saying some more about Netflix or the state of description that they created in terms of standards, putting pressure on other companies. Yeah, not not really any not not really any more than that. They put um, first off, they put pressure on other companies to even start, like um, like everyone, like anyone who's uh, who's dabbled in audio description, consuming audio description knows that. Um, the iTunes store and Apple had its moments and uh, it would be, well, and actually them and Amazon had a lot in common in that you would sort of hear that something might be available, um, on their, on their carriers. And then you go to them and maybe it's available in one country, but it's not available in another country. That's a, that's a, that continues to oh, be yes. an ongoing issue, by the way. Um, what's available, what's available in what country, same thing with, you know, DVDs and then everything like that. Um, but uh, it was all, it was very spotty, very spotty. And then sometimes it would come from some movie places and not other movie studios. And ugh. But when Netflix happened and it was just a blanket deal, then, um, then, you know, iTunes perked up, Amazon perked up and went, oh, okay. And especially as both of those entities started running after Netflix in terms of being, um, uh, providers of original content, um, then that became, then that became the moat, the, the much higher hurdle for them to go over if they were going to hope to get some of that, some of that Netflix swag. So 
yeah, that's how it's benefited as well. And now we've got, you know, we've got stuff um, on iTunes in terms of uh, the movies that are available and in terms of their burgeoning original content and um, and stuff in terms of Prime Video over at Amazon. So, uh, boy, yeah, Netflix has done a lot of good in terms of um, in terms of the standards and in terms of the demand of standards. Because one one thing about the audience of people who are visually impaired is once they once they tend to find out that audio description even exists, um, I, I, I'm, I'm only, I only feel I'm able to say this because I've heard it so many times from visually impaired people who first experience audio description or have for a short while, is they're so grateful <laughs> for whatever. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and you ask, you ask a lot of people, um, especially who are new to audio description and they're just kind of blown away by it and like, and, and ask them, well, yeah, but how was it? And it was like, and it's like, you know, comparing it to in a, a lifetime of not having it, right. well, it's, everything is awesome. So, um, and so sometimes, um, sometimes the audience can be not as demanding as they could be. Um, but that's another thing that advocate, advocacy has changed. And that's another thing that Netflix changed is to say, no, you can, you deserve better than this and you can ask for better, just like any other audience can ask for better. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a rising tide that's raising all the boats. I mean, my theory with Netflix is there's just so much content with oh. so many different kinds of content. It's not just let's just do the action shows or let's just yes. do the comedies that people are going to consume multiple products that they perceive as coming from the same source. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to have some discernment after having done that. And it's a, you know, it's an all you can eat service, right? So you're mm -hmm. not going to consume one item of Netflix per month and feel happy. You're probably going to say, you know, I've got more that I can consume. And, and just so like then, any, just like everybody else. Exactly. And then Netflix. with movies, I mean, my, I and it's funny because the first audio description experience I had in a movie theater in retrospect was terrible. It was kind of amazing at the time I was having it. Exactly. But, see? And it was, it was a really loud movie and the, the audio was, the description was not sufficiently loud to overcome the, the loudness of what was going on in the theater. It actually still, still happens. Yeah. And the headphones were, the headset was terrible and all this kind of stuff at the time. The idea that, that what I was hearing, and I have some vision, but the idea that it was what I was hearing was roughly in sync was with what I was seeing mm -hmm. was just, it blew my mind. Yes, exactly. Um, you think back on that experience and you're like, that kind of sucked. But that's mm -hmm. because you've had other experiences. And that's sort of the solution to that's the, 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 the thing that makes people more picky is that they have, you know, you, you get to eat, you get to eat sushi once or twice and you can tell the difference between good sushi and bad sushi, right? That's why it's so important that um, it's just taken time just time itself and and also to raise the profile of audio description for people to know it even exists which obviously is something we're still working at and is still probably the biggest issue um is still um letting people know that this thing exists um and then people can develop stuff from there it's like like it, it can only come with more content and more content and more content and more different content right. um, for 
people to have those experiences that will build and build and then build their standards. So in terms of that, uh, just the last two or three years has been, the, the, the learning curve has been very, very quick and very steep. Do you think back catalog titles have a chance of getting audio described in mass? Because there's always new content coming out. And as you say, Netflix, Amazon, Apple are all making original stuff. And presumably that's going to be their priority is to describe the new stuff. But I, as an old movie geek, uh, and, and I'm not expecting my favorite movie from 1934 to be described, but there are obviously there are classics. There are television <laughs> shows that people love. I mean, there are all sorts of things. So what, what's the state of back catalog description? couple things that come to my mind. One is that one of the, um, one of the cable channels that has done audio description that is not terribly well known because it's not promoted very well is Turner Classic Movies. They've been doing that for a while, but darned if they let anybody know very much. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I was surprised to learn that it existed and you cannot mm. search for it. Of course, a lot, that's a problem with a lot of audio described catalogs is you can't yes. easily search for yes. that content as existing. Yes, that's still an issue. Um, in terms of, and also, if you have a favorite movie from 1934, perhaps I have done it on my, <laughs> on my podcast, Movies for the Blind. Perhaps Why, yes. Um, because, because I specialized in uh, films from the public domain, which tend to be old. Indeed. Um, anyway, so there's that thing. But uh, in, in terms of, of that catalog, I have, an interest, I, I have an interesting anecdote about that, again, in terms of Netflix, um, that comes from the last that um, ACB ADP uh, conference uh, that I was at recently. Um, it happens that the um, webmaster for um, the audio description project was talking about their kind of, that site, um, uh, the ADP section of acb.org is, um, is kind of the main go-to database for everything that's available audio described, whether it be DVDs, whether it be um, films that are on uh, in cinemas, whether it's television, um, they've, they've got as exhaustive a list as there is. And they have a whole new section that's about streaming. And uh, he was talking about, you know, what the, what's available and what you can find on the site and stuff like that. And he happened to mention that, he, that he's a big fan of the series Longmire. And which was on A and E um, without description, and then uh, got moved to um, that got bought up by uh, Netflix, uh, and that's where the last uh, three or so uh, seasons were. And when uh, Netflix started producing Longmire, obviously it's a Netflix original. They did description for it. Well, it just so happens that I described a couple seasons of Longmire for the Canadian broadcaster APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network. Um, and so I did a little bit of that. And then when I heard this webmaster talking about it, knowing that, um, earlier this year, I worked on the, um, the first season that was on Netflix. Again, we're back to this whole countries thing. What, what is, what description is available in what countries and what description is available in other countries. And we're still at that point where uh, stuff, uh, the same stuff gets described in different countries. It doesn't cross over. I don't know why. I don't know when that's going to happen, when that's going to end. But eh, I get work out of it. So anyway, I knew that these seasons were available. And I knew that Netflix 
had, oh, he had said in his, uh, his presentation that Netflix had um, basically bought, acquired from Warner Brothers um, those A&E seasons, um, those first three seasons, I think it was. And so afterwards, I was, because I was thinking, hmm, I wonder if they need some audio description. <laughs> I happen to do some, and that network that employed me probably could use that money. So I, I go over to him and I go, hey, uh, do you know if Netflix uh, has, is planning to describe those three? And going back and forth, I eventually determined that, oh, yeah, they described the back catalog, too. Boom. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so Sucks bad, for you, but... <laughs> bad, good. bad news for me, but good news for uh, those of you who enjoy having back catalogs of things. Um, so it looks like that's... That's a thing Netflix intends to do um, with everything that they acquire, uh, at least in terms of television. Um, so that's a thing. And also um, the, the people who were so good at putting pressure on Netflix to, uh, to start audio describing, that pressure is now on Hulu, um, which is a big home for back catalogs. Yes. So who um, has other problems related to the accessibility of their service as well? This, this is this is very true. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, I just had to get that dig in there. It's, absolutely, you know. it's all part of the pressure that's on yes. them right now to get on this, and uh, that's honestly just a matter of when, as opposed to if, right now, because of the situ- because of the circumstances that we're in. So, um, in terms of back catalog. Um, in, in terms of film, uh, I think it's, I think it's going to happen with TV material first. And then, especially as more back catalog is streamed in general, maybe there's going to be some pressure on criteria. Maybe there's going to be pressure on movie, that kind of thing. Um, then film back catalogs might become more of an issue. And again, it comes down to developing that demand and that demand is developing really quickly. One piece of frustration personally myself is I mentioned earlier when I worked with ABC, Audiovision Canada, that we made these films on VHS and DVD. Um, We kind of did everything from uh, from old movies to uh, we had deals with the National Film Board of Canada and we had deals with Lionsgate, which is now a studio that's notorious for not having audio description. And uh, we did some kind of big deal films. But then when Audiovision transitioned into AMI and we stopped selling retail, that material just, it's been just sitting not being used for anything, except sometimes being run on, on, on AMI, um, just sitting there in lockers somewhere gathering dust. And no one has done anything with it. No one has picked it up. You can only get them like at the libraries that bought them or at CNIB or something like that. Um, and they just sit there. And so there's still, there's, there is a ton of back catalog content that's just waiting to be developed. Now there are, there are certain concerns, there are certain people who are trying to develop sort of a Netflix description back catalog thing, and, um, 
and no one has really been successful at it for various reasons that are individual to the people who are putting them together. But uh, I feel like that's a matter of time, but there are going to be other things that develop ahead of it that have to do with streaming and that have to do with um, more television-type content before that happens. But it's, it's definitely an opportunity for somebody to take on at some point. I assume that the tangle of one, different countries having different access to different mm. content also is relevant to, so, so there, there are films that have been described in DVD format, mm. but when those films are sold to Netflix or to any other streaming service or for television, does the audio description that may exist necessarily come with them? And my guess is that's a no. Um, up until the Netflix thing, it was definitely a no. Um, or it was, or it was a crapshoot. Um, but when Netflix started asking for it from studios and from producers, uh, they started paying more attention. And I guess you can credit uh, up here. I can credit AMI for this a little bit as well in the deals that they have made. Oh, talk about back catalogs for television. Um, AMI uh, got a bunch of older series, anything from the original CSI to Matlock to Magnum PI. I know these things because I'm, I'm, I'm a terribly self-involved person and uh, I've been jealous of colleagues of mine who have been able <laughs> to describe these things that I haven't because I'm not with AMI anymore. Um, but they bought up some stuff too. And um, uh, exclusively, it's basically exclusively for use on their channel. Um, but again, it's, it's out, it's, it's content, it's there, um, that deals could be made to acquire them and put them out somewhere else. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a matter of, uh, oftentimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Um, and it's a matter of time before they kind of get them all together. So another barrier, I think, to some, and I, the, the Turner Classic Movies thing illustrates mm -hmm. this to me because I am a consumer of that channel and a recorder of that channel on some occasions. Yep. But if I don't know how to access audio description on my yes. devices, yeah. I'm not going to find it. Could you sort of give a quick little primer on how uh, users can figure out whether they have access to the audio description that may or may not be there? Oof. Uh, let me think. Well, okay, I can go to how it's been, um, which is more often than not, in terms of television, audio description has been available on the secondary audio program, um, which I usually tell Americans is that place where you can get the Spanish. You used to call it the SAP you, channel. Yeah, SAP yeah. channel. Yeah, that's what it, that put it, that, that's what it is. I don't know if it's always labeled that way anymore. That's why I say that, but mm. that's what, the, what, what it's always been. On, on uh, CRT televisions, it was always SAP, and I can't remember if they've changed that. It just may be another input by some other secondary audio or something like that now. I think, but. It's, I think it's still technically called SAP. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes it'll be called secondary audio. Um, but yeah, I usually, I, I usually tell folks it's in, in America, it's, you know, it's where, it's where you can get your baseball called in Spanish because that's what comes up on, on the TV first before the right. available in SAP when you wouldn't uh, normally know that. Um, so anyway, 
that's uh, that's usually where you acquire it. You get it through the audio settings on your television. Um, there are certain digital concerns I know up here in Canada um, that have dedicated audio channels somewhere way up in the stratosphere at a thousand something 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 um, will be dedicated channels to description on a certain network. Uh, CBC would have certain um, all the description that they would have would be on this one channel so you switch over um, CTV, another network, all the description of beyond that channel. Um, I only know this anecdotally, um, but that's available. But more often than not, it's been the SAP. Like, okay, cool, but how do you get to the SAP? That's been a big thing um, because it's been like, well, you press this button and you press that button and you press this button. And um, that's where the good news has, has come up recently. Um, back to that conference I was just at. Um, we had uh, big wheels from... Charter Communications, who have now bought up Time Warner Cable and Spectrum, um, and uh, Comcast, who were crowing about their uh, new set-top boxes, and that uh, it's going to be easier than ever to uh, call up your SAP, um, whether it's like one button, or whether um, their customer service ha uh, people have been way more educated in explaining this whole thing. Um, when usually it's like at the cinema. Duh, what, huh? um, so they they actually bothered to show up and go, hey, we've got this thing. It's going to be easier to do this. We're coming up with this now. So it's a thing they're actually working on, um, which and it probably is absolutely no coincidence that the people who tell us this um, tend to themselves be visually impaired people who work there. Um, yay representation. Um, so it's getting to be easier. And again, again, we get to go back to Netflix on this because one of the multiple things about Netflix is that not only did they make all of this stuff available, they made it not terribly super hard to get. Um, once you learn it, it kind of makes sense. Um, it's just a matter of knowing where the audio settings are and then just picking the audio setting. And usually right. you'd, you're not going to have to reset it often, yeah. even when you switch devices, which is kind of exactly. cool. And initially it was kind of a slog, but they kind of yes. got those kinks worked out. And now if you have Netflix on multiple devices, well, first you can go ahead and set them the first time you're there. But mm -hmm. usually whatever settings you have translate over. And so we have yet another case of if Netflix can do it, why can't you? in terms of making the description a but one button click away, if even that. The challenge is you have devices like Roku and Apple mm. TV and, and even Amazon to some extent because they play other parties' content where yeah. they their original stuff, it may be very easy to get to the description, but you're installing some sort of app for mm -hmm. ch rando channel X on Apple TV or Roku, then kind of all bets are off. And again, accessibility and audio, audio description mirror each other because it's sort of a deep, dark well of not goodness. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, but also the the fact that yeah, it's been it's it's still a hardware thing to an extent 
when back in the olden days of analog, um, when we were doing, when I was doing here at ABC doing films for CBC and, um, we would have to let people know how to get to it over the air. Um, and that kind of deal. And, and when the SAP was mono, um, it still is in some places, uh, there were hardware technical reasons why stuff didn't go through. Now with digital, there are fewer, there are fewer excuses, but Ooh, there are still excuses. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and so as, as things, well, there's kind of a, a good and bad news kind of thing about having it come from the hardware. Um, I, I should note to the audience that I, I let um, Shelley know uh, kind of ahead of time that I'm not the biggest technical person in the universe. So I'm, I'm, I'm treading on, I'm treading on rocky ground right now when I, when I say this, but um, from one standpoint um, for the big deal cable companies and the television manufacturers as well. And, and the fact that they're kind of um, making deals with each other for things to be integrated. It's sort of a good news thing in that various apps go, can go into one television. And so the hardware of the television can help run it, uh, has the potential to run it more than having to deal with the individual apps. From that standpoint, um, yeah, that that's the theory anyway, and that yeah. and that works better with bigger provider apps. I mean, you know, Netflix yeah. is a good example. Obviously, not only do they do this stuff, but the apps that they have for I can only speak to Roku and Apple because mm -hmm. I don't have Amazon, but that, that just kind of works. But yeah. you might even have a network app where they have some amount of audio description. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to call names because I don't know if these are the case, but I have run into apps where they don't, it's not possible to tell by just turning it on whether that audio description is there. You have to either go yeah. through some setting or you're just out of luck because it may not pass that information that the hardware is capable of providing that description. The app may not be passing it correctly. Yeah, that's an ongoing, that's an ongoing thing I see come up in the um, audio description uh, project. We have a mailing list, we have a listserv. Uh, speaking of analog, um, but, it, <laughs> but a lot of it, um, a lot of it, uh, when it's not, is this, is this TV show described? Is this TV show not described? Why is it, why am I not hearing it on my thing? Um, these days, it's now, you know, how do I, you know, does the ABC app have this? Does the NBC app have this? Does the Universal app have this? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I, while I'm here, I'm going to give a shout out to the CBC TV app. CBC is the uh, public broadcaster here in uh, Canada, but they're, they're a major broadcaster. They're not like PBS. They're a major broadcaster and have all sorts of different shows. And, um, and uh, what is described on television on CBC is described on the CBC TV app. In fact, because I don't have a television, I sometimes have done stuff for them. And the only way I find out that I've in fact been on is by going to the app and turning it on and going, <laughs> oh, look, it's me. Now I can tell everybody I've been on, yay. Um, I'm such a professional. Right. But, um, but that has worked. Uh, so that's an ongoing thing is like what works, what doesn't. And it might be the, um, 
it, it might be the hardware, it, it might be through the, the hardware thing, theoretical though it may be, that might find itself working before each of these individual apps find themselves their own little ways of working. Um, yeah, that's kind of a matter of time. And, it, and it's um, also dependent, again, on the demand and on the um, raising the profile description as, as an option that's, that's necessary to have on an app. Yeah, and frankly, with choices, with people deciding whether to cut the cord, in some cases, people are really fortunate and can choose a cable company. That's often not the case, and I recognize yeah. that. But the word gets out. And people know, okay, if I want to consume this content, I have a couple or three different ways of doing it, whether it be through a set-top box or a streaming device, I'm going to choose the one that makes it easiest for me to do. And hopefully that will get people's attention, like like the Hulus, which isn't a hardware maker, obviously. Mm. But, uh, you know, Amazon actually kind of went from zero in terms of the accessibility stuff because for a while they kind of weren't paying attention to it on tele on the television side and then all of a sudden they were and they yes. you know jumped up pretty far honestly mm-hmm. yeah they, they they got they got going pretty quick and also um streaming became a bit of a workaround for people um who couldn't get a pass through um through their cable companies um, when I go back home to where I grew up in Ohio, where we have Spectrum, Time Warner Cable, um, and I try to turn it on, and I try to turn on description of something on PBS or something I know that's supposed to be described, it's not going to come through. Um, there could be various reasons for that. One is um, the mandate in the U.S. is for description is for the top 60, I think it is. That top sounds right. 60, it's something top like that. Sixty yeah. markets in the United States. Um, that's where it's supposed to pass through. If you're not in the top sixty, huh, what happens? I don't know. Um, and also, that demand has been years in coming. There have been mandates for um, for production of description and for having it available, but whether it actually whether the cable company. Um, has had the wherewithal and or hardware and or whatever tech they have to actually make that go to your television once you turn on the SAP channel. That's a whole other ball of wax. Right. And that's, and that's, been, uh, that's been really difficult. So if someone has a streaming thing and can do certain pieces of deviltry where they don't necessarily have to be a subscriber to the cable company or they may be a subscriber to the cable company but find that they can't get whatever it is on their television but they've got that login because they subscribe then they're there then they can get stuff not on their tv right um but through their but through their app and then maybe get it and then do some dongle switching through their TV and whatever and get it on TV without getting it on TV. So there've been, there've been weird workarounds. It's like, there've, there've always the, been weird workarounds and you yeah. don't have to comment on this at all unless you okay. want to. But okay. uh, I, I know lots of people who are blind, who are blind and visually impaired who in years past got very familiar with torrents because yeah. there were places to find yes. described content that they weren't necessarily uh, able to get on their own. Yep. Yep, and uh, I I'm more than happy to comment on that. Yay! <laughs> um, whatever uh, I will say, 
uh, whatever uh, you guys can get, you can get because it's part of it's part of stating demand. Um, yep. If uh, if you're a broadcaster and you feel like you've gotten uh, ripped off, it's because you're not providing the service that you're supposed to provide. So provide the service. And maybe there'll be less people stealing from you. I, I, I must say, I would like to, I, I would enjoy be seeing somebody say, yeah, I, I use Torrent to uh, get content because you didn't provide it described to me. So let's fight this in public, shall we? There you go. That's, yeah, I, I agree. Well, I, uh, well, I say, I personally can say I have not done Torrents to get audio described material. Um, I don't blame a single soul for, um, for doing it uh, in by any means necessary. It's also worth noting for anyone who is just learning about this audio description thing um, or doesn't have a live knowledge about it, um, there's a little thing called the BBC iPlayer um, that, uh, that uh, has uh, stuff that's in fact uh, streaming stuff that is available in a category called audio described. You can go right to the category of everything. That's crazy. Yeah, that's audio described. <laughs> and I believe, I believe Channel 4, um, the broad, that broadcaster in the UK, that their site that has uh, streaming has that as well. So if you find yourself with, uh, with uh, certain um, pieces of software that allow you to pretend you're from other countries, um, that's also something available to you, I'm just saying. Just saying. Mm. Well, uh, this is allegedly a tech podcast, so let's, let's get on tech ground that presumably you'll feel pretty comfortable with. Uh, but, crossing but my fingers. How, how the heck do you approach an audio description product, project, and, and how do you do it? Well, technically... Um, I can actually answer that because it's not that super hard, um, technically. Uh, let's say, okay, I can give you an example of the, the thing that I'm in the middle of writing right now. Uh, not while I'm talking to you, but was right before I was talking to you. Um, I, a Canadian post-production house, got uh, the final version of a video from a sports broadcaster of a half-hour show that they have. And... Um, they want me to do it. And so I say, yay. And they, once they finally have a version, uh, they send me an MOV or an MP4 um, because I'm a Mac person. Um, but if they sent me an AVI, I would, uh, I would, I would uh, change it around. <laughs> and um, so they send that, um, they send that to me to, through their own server. Although we've used various means from DCMP, we use FTP still. And, um, and so I get the MOV and I slam it into just plain old QuickTime player and, um, and just get LibreOffice and open a word processing document and write. And uh, sometimes, the, um, sometimes the video will have time code uh, already burned in, the visual numbers that count uh, the seconds and stuff. And so uh, otherwise I'll just use the counter on the player. And when I write, I will have, um, I will set down the time code of when the description should begin, uh, when it should be placed in the video. And then I uh, do my, my writing magic and uh, determine the, um, the places, uh, the audible places that that description should fit into. So I have a, a, an audio cue 
where it gets placed and then the audio cue that should be right after my description is done. Uh, and then I keep doing that. Now, there are other describers who have software that is dedicated to audio describing. Um, I know there's, on Windows, there was a Live Describe. Uh, on uh, Mac, there was something called Capscribe. I'm going back a few years because I just dabbled with those things and then just went, nah, screw it. Wasn't my kind of deal. But it is something where it's, an integra where it's integrated software where the video and the writing is in the same thing. And uh, many companies use something like that that is browser-based. In fact, there's a company that I'm, uh, that I'm hoping to do work for who have uh, just sent me a video of a tutorial of their proprietary software of how I'm supposed to use it. And so we'll see how that goes. Um, but a lot of writers use, use that sort of thing. It just doesn't happen to be the way I usually do it. So anyway, that's how I write. And um, just normal stuff. Now for DCMP, um, it's the same deal, but they want me to use an Excel file. And they have a template so that in one window, the, um, the time code goes in. In another, in, a, in another cell, the audio cues go in. And in another cell, the actual description goes in. And then when I send it to them, they have their own workflow software, whatever the heck it is, that they go through where it just kind of plugs into whatever their system is when they record. And that's how it works for them. Um, when I'm doing stuff, so I had to learn Excel. <laughs> but I've learned because I'm a professional. Um, but otherwise, doing my normal thing, uh, back to uh, player and uh, LibreOffice. So I just do my thing. And uh, then I go into my closet studio, which I am not in right at this moment. I go into my closet studio and um, I record into my laptop, um, into Logic Pro X. Uh, for a very long time, I recorded into a, I just kind of tapped into a, a Zoom recorder because I am an OG podcaster. <laughs> tapped into a Zoom recorder and just dumped it onto a computer. And then, uh, and then I got a faster computer and then went straight into Audacity, um, which I still use sometimes for quick and dirty editing and no noise reduction. And, um, but now I'm at a point, uh, technically, that I feel confident about recording straight into Logic Pro X. So I do that. Oh, and I have um, just, a, just a very, very basic um, um, Yamaha... A mixer compressor thing. I don't really have a lot of stuff going on there, um, but just enough to that you can actually hear me. And then I start editing everything in Logic Pro X. Uh, I place, I, so I cut things up. I cut the description up into a bunch of a bunch of pieces and place them to the time code. Um, I have dumped in. The, um, the MOV, I have dumped the MOV into, uh, into the project, and then I have a track running underneath, which is where I go, and I place it at the right places based on time code, and then, um, and then, oh, oh, sorry. The reason why I have, uh, I don't need all of the bells and whistles of Logic Pro. Um, the only reason I have it um, is that I can see the video and place things at the same time. I don't edit video. Um, 
in fact, before I use Logic Pro, I use Logic Express. And before that, I use something called Soundtrack that Mac old timers might remember. And I was perfectly happy with them, but Mac will not let us be happy. And um, so we have to move on. And that's why I ended up with Logic Pro X. But all you need to describe is just something that has the video so you can place it, not just based on time code, but also based on what is actually happening on the screen. Because what I, my school of description, quote unquote school of description, is to have things, is to describe things as close as possible to when they are visually happening on screen. Um, because I like, and the people who taught me, like to have as synchronous as an of an experience as possible between people who are sighted and people who are not sighted. Um, the ideal is if, you know, um, a family of people who are sighted and who aren't sighted, um, quote unquote, watching something at the same time and being able to laugh basically at the same time. Um, so that's why I go based on time code, based on what I hear, and also based on what I'm actually seeing at the time. So as long as I have software that covers that, I'm cool. Um, I don't need much of anything else. After that, I mix the thing. And all that's important to that is that you hear me. So I do not do automatic ducking. There are those who do. I don't approve of them. <laughs> I am me and I mix like a human. And um, <laughs> uh, because uh, yeah, yeah. anything that takes you out of the experience of the visual media that you were consuming, anything that distracts you from it is to me a failure. Whether it's the description's too loud, the description's too quiet, the description's too, <laughs> too, too crap, the, or the mixing is too abrupt. Um, anything that takes you out of that is, is bad by me. Um, that's not to say that what I'm doing is perfect, but uh, uh, it doesn't help. Um, so I mix like uh, with my own two hands. And um, well, although I'm drawing lines, I draw them with my own two hands. And, uh, and base that on you know trying to have the description and the original soundtrack dialogue be as relatively close sounding while not being exactly the same as possible. Um, that's going to start to become more of an issue for me mixing and I'm going to have to up my tech game as um, the demand rises for stuff that's done in Dolby and stuff that's done in uh, surround sound and fancy schmancy audio type stuff when, as we go beyond the secondary audio program. Um, and that's coming real quick. So I have to figure out how to mix things in Dolby and 5.1 and that kind of stuff. But so that's that the hasn't thing I been a thing on. yet? That so, no. so far you're just doing a, tra a single track over on your side and mixing to whatever, whatever they have, whatever the movie has? The, the end, yes. Um, I usually get um, stereo. I usually record myself in stereo and what comes out of stereo. Um, it used to be mono back, back a while, not too long ago. Um, but yeah, it's still stereo. So that's going to be changing um, with uh, probably with um, the uh, description 
being probably two tracks in the center of Adobe situation. But that's something I'm going to have to work on. Anyway, mixing happens. And uh, hopefully you hear me. And once I do that, uh, it ends up being uh, what I call a DV mix track. Um, that is usually a wave. And I just send it back, FTP or we transfer or whatever. And uh, they, the, the post-production house lays it into the project that the producer and or broadcaster has given them. And they do whatever they do. Uh, to finish things up and send it off and that's the process and that's the process for um that's the process for broadcast uh in television and probably to some extent still in streaming um obviously anyone who is uh consumed audio description in a movie theater will know that um what they get in their earpiece is just the description with no mix um, and their ears have to do their own darn mixing because they're listening while the cinema soundtrack audio is going on all around them. Do you has its advantages and disadvantages sure. as you've as you've already as you've already mm-hmm. noted. Does is it is it a ever a back and forth process or do you you're sending audio to them and are, do they ever get involved in trying to edit or tinker with what you do? In my experience, in terms of the broadcast material, no, um, which uh, which has sometimes been fine by me. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll, I I get notes with, uh, from DCMP. We have we have editors. Um, we have they have uh, script editors who go through my stuff, and uh, and, and they produce in ha- in house. Um, so once I'm done writing, it goes from there. Um, in terms of the broadcast stuff, uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't had. Um, I haven't had feedback. I have when it's been um, kind of a smaller project. Uh, I've done some material for certain government agencies uh, in the U.S. and Canada, and um, who have um, very specific terms that they need to use organizationally. Um, and, um, and know how their very limited audience is going to consume this material. So I will get notes back from them, um, about stuff. And there are, um, DVDs and things I've done for certain individuals, um, who are putting out a DVD that want a description on it and I'll get notes from them. But in terms of the broadcasters and in terms of the post-production houses, no. And that is yet another thing <laughs> that um, Netflix is changing um, because as the years go by and the demand has grown, audio description is very, very slowly moving back, back, back in the production process. As I've said, um, usually now audio description is, in terms of Canadian broadcast, audio description is the last step in the post-production process. It's the very last thing they think of. Sometimes I've finished stuff that goes to air the next day or in eight hours um, after it's done. Um, That's starting to change as uh, people in production are becoming more aware of audio description. 
Um, there, for years, I, I think I went through 10 years before I even ever got a screenplay to refer to. Um, so that's starting to become more of a thing and it's happening very slowly. Again, synchronous with the producers becoming more involved in the audio description process. And as Netflix is their own producer for a lot of, for some of their original stuff, um, or certainly have a very big voice, um, or co-producers, um, then that becomes more of a thing. And that's something that producers working in other forms will also pick up on. So it's, it's going to start to become more further back in the production process. And then I'll be getting more notes, which is kind of okay, I think. <laughs> but in, in terms of the ultimate standard, it is much better because you're kind of, we're, we're basically, Describers are basically interpreting for, we're, we're interpreting the producer, the content creator's quote unquote vision, uh, their intention, what they want to put forth to the audience. Um, we are, we are the middlemen. Um, so the closer we get to what the intention of the producer actually is, I think the better off we'll be, the better off everyone will be. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think on the consumer side, I, you you can tell, I can tell anyway, when audio description has been well thought out. It's just just sort of a silly example I always give, but when I'm listening to something audio described, and maybe it's nearly the beginning of the show, and you say a, a man walks through the door, he is bald and is wearing glasses, and you're like, well, why did you tell me that detail, but not of the other people? Well, it's probably going to become relevant down the mm -hmm. road. So yeah, it indicates that somebody, and, and that's like a super simple example, but you could see where if a producer is creating something that ha is highly stylized visually or that has subtext that's included visually, but that may not, not, might not be apparent from the audio track, that it would be really helpful if the describer was in on that earlier on. Part of it is... Um Part of it is basic, just good audio description in that, um, in case anybody, you know, why do you describe some things and don't describe other things? Um, some of them, some in more basic audio description, it sometimes we describe certain details simply to be able to distinguish characters from other characters when there are no names yet. Um, and also, but also going on from there, um, priority would be given to whatever detail is the most relevant to the story being told. Um, whether it, whether it's consistent with, um, with say, uh, visual mm, hinting, showing of, showing of hands, showing of detail that will be relevant later, or, um, maybe I don't even know yet, or, or maybe it won't even, maybe it won't even pay off later. But if the, if the producer, you see, here's the thing about audio description. We'll do this for material that sucks. <laughs> I mean, even it's so, so if somebody, so, so if somebody has, uh, has, has come up with a, has, has made a point of, of, of making present a, a particular detail that won't pay off later, <laughs> um, we are, we are beholden to mention that detail regardless. 
um, again, we are following, we are interpreting the producer's vision, whether or not that vision's any good or not. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, but we'll, we'll, we'll follow it. But more often than not, yes, we're, we'll, we'll note details, um, prioritizing things that will be relevant in terms of the, uh, of the entire narrative. I want to thank you, Valerie, for being on the show. This was really fun and, and actually you say you're not technical, but I do appreciate the geeky parts of how audio description happens. I, I enjoy that stuff. Maybe because I'm an audio geek myself. I, 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 I appreciate I appreciate that for making me sound more geeky than I. <laughs> you should you should am. take it. You're a professional, as we've established. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so the final section Thanks. on uh, every episode of Parallel is called "One More Thing," where I get the guest to uh, mm-hmm. say something funny, hopefully. But in this case, I want to have the audience hear what Valerie does best, which is describe video content. And uh, you have been describing a lot of movies of various uh, vintages and genres uh, for for your Mm -hmm. podcast, Movies for the Blind, for a long time. There'll be a link in the show notes, of course. But I thought we'd end with a a clip. Mm -hmm. So what do you have for us, Valerie? What what movie can we uh, go out on a clip of? Well, at the the moment... um the film I'm uh, featuring in uh, my rerunning of the podcast is uh, a film called The Man Who Changed His Mind, which is somewhat literal. Uh, that stars Boris Karloff as a, uh, a well-intentioned scientist, but usually when Boris, Boris Karloff plays well-intentioned scientists, things go somewhat awry. And um, it's very atmospheric and kind of funny and was very fun to describe and uh, this particular uh, clip that I can come up with uh, will no doubt be somewhat odd. And um, hopefully uh, the description makes it apparent how odd and atmospheric and uh, weird the film is. Excellent. I can't wait. Let's listen. I can do it. I can take thought content from the mind of a living animal and store it as you would store electricity. Wait. Putting his cigarette in his mouth, he steps away. Clayton plays piano as he watches Lorenz leave the lab. Lorenz returns with a chimpanzee who walks beside him in a long white shirt. Claire smiles. As Lorenz closes the door, the chimp reaches into his jacket pocket and pulls out grapes. Lorenz pets it and Claire smiles more. The chimp sucks the grapes from their stem and Lorenz smiles. When Loren snaps his fingers and points, the chimp walks in that direction and climbs onto one of two wooden chairs. It puts on a helmet-like headpiece connected to an array of wires and cables. Lorenz approaches the chair and starts gently putting the chimp's arms in restraints. See, he likes it. To him, it's just like going to sleep. Walking behind the chair to a series of levers, he pulls one down. As Claire observes the chimp, Lorenz pulls down other levers, activating a wave of electricity between two poles. The chimp's eyes are closed. When all the levers are down, Lorenz turns to observe the chimp himself. It seems relaxed and docile. Two tubes run through a closed glass jar. Lorenz returns to the levers and turns a crank, shutting down the device. Alive and well, but his mind is in there. The jar. You say it is, but he looked just the same under an anesthetic. 
How can you prove it? Would it prove it if I could take this mind and put it in the body of another animal? Of course. But you can't. Tonight I'm going to try for the first time. As Clayton turns to watch, Lorenz leaves the lab again. That was fabulous. I want everybody to know where they can find what you do, Valerie. Moviesfortheblind.com. Is that right? Why don't you just give your link so that I don't mess them up? Where, where can people find what you do? Sure. Uh, to be more immediate, what you just heard, the podcast is moviesfortheblind.com. That's F-O-R for the blind.com where um, you can get the blog and you can subscribe and all of the, you can get links to where to subscribe in your uh, favorite podcast provider. Um, my more, Oh, also if you want to uh, follow the podcast uh, on Twitter, um, that Twitter handle is movies for the blind. Only this time it's movies number four, the blind. And uh, so check me out there for updates and other stuff about um, about um, accessibility and uh, also about uh, audio drama, because that's certainly becoming more of a thing in podcasting. Um, if you want to employ me or want to know more about more general uh, audio description I do for my work in broadcast and uh, DCMP type stuff, um, my work site is uh, ValerieH.com. There's a hyphen in that. So it's V-A-L-E-R-I-E hyphen H. Dot com and I'm I'll give a uh, shout out to the gang at DCMP specifically if you are in the states and you are involved in education or know someone who is uh, who could who have students who could definitely benefit from completely accessible um, educational videos you can check them out at dcmp.org and one more thing in that site there is a section called Description Key, which is sort of a very basic but very useful um, kind of primer on how to audio describe. If you want to try to uh, do this yourself and or you're listening to me babbling on and wondering how on where do you even begin, um, that section, Description Key, that you can get through uh, DCMP.org uh, will definitely help you get started. I want to thank Valerie Hunter for being my guest on Parallel and remind you that Parallel can be found on the Relay FM network at relay.fm slash parallel. You can follow the show on Twitter at Parallel Pods or give me your feedback on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks, if not sooner, with another episode of Parallel.